Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. They have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And the I haven't got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Welcome out to Champions YouTube friends. Drop in your comments and questions in the chat and make sure you hammer the like and subscribe button as we preview the action from this weekend's top fixtures all across Europe and beyond. With us in the House of Champions today, we have Nigel Real Coker. Nigel, how you doing? I'm great, thank you, Ian. Yourself? Doing all right, thank you. That's enough from you. JJ, how are you doing, buddy? Yeah, doing very well. Thanks, and you. It's uh, always a pleasure to be with the uh, with the elder statesman of the, the podcast. They're looking forward to it. See that smile on Michael Hood's face, man. He can't wait to talk, man. How you doing, Mike? I've got to stop talk here because uh, Nigel just told me that you speak the most out of any of us here. So I've got to stop talk for you. I'm going to start it. Go. How you doing, buddy? Uh, it's Derby weekend. I can't wait. I'm going to talk my you-know-what off, but not as much as Nigel Real Coker. That's a fact. That was nine seconds right there, Michael. Let's see if we can keep it to nine seconds all the way throughout the show. So listen, welcome along, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to House of Champions. I just want to say a big thank you to everybody out there for subscribing, for liking, for, for leaving a review if you're on the podcast format, on the YouTube format, leave a comment. Uh, we really appreciate it. We also love the fact that you jump in and get involved in the show. The show is for you. We are here for you. JJ's over in Paris. Nigel is in his villa somewhere in Miami or somewhere in Florida, <laughs> wherever he is with his cigar and cigar hat and all this crap that's going on. Michael Hood, you're in Austin, Texas, living the dream. Of course, I love Austin, Texas, by the way. What a great city that is. Um, but this show is for you, so please make sure you jump in the conversation as best as you possibly can, and we'll give you the best possible previews we can for these games coming up this weekend. Let's begin in the Premier League. Nigel Rio Coker, I'm coming to you first. It is Tottenham Hotspur against Arsenal, the North London Derby. Really looking forward to this Derby. Spurs certainly been in the news of late this week about this potential new minority stake ownership group. Arsenal, of course, are top of the league by five points over Manchester City. They're 11 points ahead of Spurs going into this game. I mean, listen, it's great to get back to Premier League action after the cup competitions. We all love playing in cup competitions, but sometimes it's frustrating to watch cup competitions. How will Conte approach this game, recognizing that this is a massive game for him personally with all the rumors off the field, but this is a game where Arsenal might be a little vulnerable, do you think? And honestly, I think that when you look at this game now with everything that's happened, 
it doesn't matter. You can't look at past results. You can't look at past forms. It's the North London derby. Anything is possible. Regardless of what Tottenham have been going through, those players are going to be ready for this Arsenal game. This is a massive game. One of the ones that a lot of people tick off on their calendar, eagerly anticipating this game. And I think with Tottenham, it's more so the off-the-field situation now with a minority stake by Qatar maybe happening at the football club. The dynamic of maybe will Harry Kane stay now? Will he get a bigger contract? Will he still leave? All that's still going on. Conte's future's playing a part. Conte moaning about transfer targets. There's a lot going on at Tottenham right now. And I think coming against Arsenal would be the perfect fixture for them when those type of situations and scenarios are happening at the football club. It gives you an opportunity to forget all the outside noise that's going on and concentrate on the football. It's going to be very interesting. Um, I think for me, Arsenal and Arteta's made a few comments a couple of weeks ago, if you recall, about, you know, not really worried, but the comments he made made it seem that he's a bit worried and not wanting players or people to get carried away to feel that it's a done job, that they're going to be champions of the Premier League. So I think for me, if anything, when I look at everything that's going on, I think this game really does favour Tottenham. It's a game where they can come out and really make a statement against this Arsenal side and anything can happen in a North London derby. I agree with Niger. You know, I think that this is, it's a game where it could be a potential trap for Arsenal. And I think, uh, you know, with regards to what Nigel was saying about Arteta's comments, I think that's natural because when you look at Arsenal and sort of the, the strength in depth or relative lack of it, you know, there are only sort of one or two more injuries away from potentially, you know, having quite a, a difficult period, uh, you know, without their regular starting 11. Obviously, Mudrik could change that if he does ultimately come in. Uh, but, you know, losing Gabriel Jesus, uh, you know, that was a big blow. I actually kind of wonder if Arsenal are moving so quickly to try and get Mudrik now because they feel like he won't be on the market come the summer. Whereas actually, perhaps the the, the smartest thing to do looking at this transfer window and looking at Arsenal's squad at this moment in time is actually to try and boost themselves in a couple of positions so that they don't run out of depth uh, and ultimately sort of don't run out of gas and kind of conk out, uh, you know, because they are looking good for the title at the moment. But this is the kind of game that, that can upset them because Conte, Conte will thrive with Spurs in this sort of underdog role that they're going to play in this. Everyone's going to be expecting Arsenal to continue their good form and for Spurs to struggle. But that is when, uh, you know, Conte is really in his element. As we saw last season, one win in a rivalry game, especially the North London Derby, can change the entire projection of your season. This game at this stadium, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, it, it really defined both of these teams' seasons. For Spurs, it catapulted them to get top four. For Arsenal, they just missed out. I just wonder if this could be the little trap, as you said, JJ, for Arsenal that kind of derails them because everything has gone their way. Gabriel Jesus will be a big miss for them. He was a star last time out at the Emirates in this matchup. I thought Granit Xhaka and Thomas Partey, they starred as well. That combination, Granit Xhaka being in the more advanced position, proved too much for Tottenham. Antonio Conte will have his Tottenham Hotspurs ready to play this game. Interesting stat for you. When Tottenham Hotspurs play Arsenal, and especially when they host Arsenal, penalty kicks seem to be the theme. And penalty kicks in the form of Harry Kane. He scored seven of them in this matchup when these two teams get together. I expect another PK for Harry Kane to be in the fold. And I favor Tottenham, unlike some of the previous matches and some of the previous showings they've had. I do favor Tottenham in this game because of what history has shown. 
It's amazing to think that we're all kind of leaning towards Tottenham having a bit of an advantage here. Obviously, they're playing at home here. However, this is a question for all our viewers. And I know we've got some Gunners fans and we've got some Spurs fans in the chats already. Without going to look at Google and without looking at your apps that give you all the scores and predictions in recent history, when was the last time that Arsenal beat Tottenham at Tottenham Stadium? If you guys have the answer to that one without looking at it, please feel free to jump in. But this is really to our viewers right now. If you've got the answer, jump in. Do not cheat. Do not go look at it. Nigel, let's come back to you. Uh, next three games for Arsenal are massive obviously the Spurs game then they have United and then City two in the Premier League and then one in the FA Cup against City of course Um, how big are these next two games for the Gunners I mean they want to try and make a statement as you mentioned Tottenham obviously trying to shut them down it's a derby game so there's a lot to play for here but for the Gunners in particular we've all been so impressed with what they've done and what Arteta's done and as JJ pointed out maybe you're starting to see a few kinks in that armour where they might need to just have some backup here Um, but realistically Arsenal are a red-hot team right now. They're a team that are hard to beat. They score goals. They should be an all-out favourite. And if they win this game, and if they then go ahead and beat Manchester United, can they win the whole thing? I think it's difficult, Ian. When you look at it, it's it's a team that's on form, yes. We've given them credit on how well they've done. They've surprised a lot of people. But I think what they realise is now is really and truly the, the pressure cook is getting hotter. With every game they play, they are under the microscope. They're being scrutinised. We talked about, obviously, Gabriel Jesus being missing and the pursuits that they've got in this window right now. And the, obviously, word that's coming from Arsenal is the fact of they're not going to recruit for the sake of recruit. They're going to recruit the right person, the right fit to suit them. Every game is vital for Arsenal because even if it's a cup game, if they lose that game, how will that affect the mentality? How will that react in league form? All of these play a part. And I think the difference with this Arsenal side compared to the great Arsenal sides we've seen is we've seen a tremendous amount of personality from players coming out, being vocal, from the characters that they show on the pitch. We don't see that with this Arsenal side. We see a great team dynamic. And I think that is why still people question them. Because I think if we saw a lot more characters within this team, I don't think we'll be questioning. We'll be like, Arsenal are going to win the league title. It's theirs to throw away. But I think everyone is eagerly waiting. And like Michael said as well, everything seems to have gone right for them. You just feel that there has to be a glitch in the matrix somewhere along the line with a loss that comes and people are going to wait to see for the reaction, how they're going to cope and how they're going to move from that. But they definitely are in control right now. But there is has to be a glitch in the matrix somewhere along the line, a potential banana slip. Nigel Rio Coca playing Agent Smith there. It's, uh, I mean, I mean, for me, I think, uh, you know, looking at Arsenal's title chances, it, it's obviously the best opportunity that they've had in years. It's it's certainly not, uh, you know, a foregone conclusion. You know, it's only five points, uh, you know, the gap between the, the uh, between them and City at this moment in time. Uh, you know, and you feel as well, you know, if you're looking at those two squads, City are far deeper in terms of quality. Obviously, their form has been more patchy. I mean, we saw them got not get knocked out of the cup by Saints just the other day. But, uh, you know, it does feel like, you know, Arsenal perhaps just, I don't, not even necessarily an injury, maybe a suspension or two away from missing important players in big games. And, you know, that bench at this moment in time, it, it just can't cope with the rigours of a, of a title push. So as long as they can maintain this good form. And I, I actually wonder, I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, um, one of Arsenal's upcoming games being in the cup. I actually wonder if it's in this kind of scenario where it's actually not, you know, necessarily a good thing if they go on a cup run now. Maybe if they drop out of the cup, can focus on the league, that gives them, uh, you know, the best chance of actually seeing this uh, this title push through. 
I look at the schedule when I, I look at Arsenal's chances, because we've seen this before from the Gunners. I can't really do the math on how many years ago, but this isn't the first time Arsenal have been top of the Premier League in the last decade. And we've been saying, oh, will they? Will they? Will they? And they don't. When you look at their schedule this month, and I'm talking the late January to, let's say, the next month and a half, they have United next. They do play City, both in cup competition, in the FA Cup, and in the Premier League. And I look at the run-in to finish the league form. April, brutal month. City, Newcastle. May comes. Brighton. I mean, they are really going to have to earn it the second half of the season. I go back to what I said earlier, that things have gone so well. This is where the January transfer window, if you're Mikel Arteta, you are running into the boardroom and demanding and saying, hey, we've got something special going here for this season. We need your backing. If the board backs Mikel Arteta, if they can get Mudrik and maybe one more player to add depth, they have the greatest chance to win the Premier League for the first time in a long time. Can they, can they really get another player, though, on top of Mudrik if they're spending the kind of fees that we've been discussing? I know Ian's not convinced by the by the fee. It's far too high. But it feels to me like if it's going to be Mudrick, it's going to be him and him alone. That's a good question, JJ. They're going to have to. It, you're going to have to be savvy in the January window. When you get an injury to a player like Gabriel Jesus, when you've built a project around the likes of Gabriel Jesus being available and his skill set, his strength, his ability to hold up the ball and link up, Eddie Nketiah is doing amazing. But Eddie, Eddie Nketiah is not going to be the player that wins you the Premier League. If he is, we will roll the tape on House of Champions again and again, and I will buy an Arsenal jersey and put a brown paper bag over my head and saying, I'm sorry. Yeah, don't do that, please. Nigel, go ahead quickly. <laughs> I've got nothing to say. I'm just I'm listening to Michael. I see how long he talks. Oh, I love to appreciate that go. one. That, that was only the five minutes from uh, Michael right there. Uh, just real quickly, let me get your predictions from you guys before we get into some of the answers and some of the questions that are coming on the comments and move on to the Manchester Derby. Nigel Rio Coker. I have no idea why, but I really feel that this is going to be a Tottenham win for some reason. It's the North London Derby. I just feel that Tottenham somehow are going to pull a rabbit out of a hat. JJ. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one. I don't see Arsenal winning it. I don't know if I'm going for a draw or going for a, a Tottenham win. I'm going to say a draw. I'm going to go 1-1. Michael Hood. I'm going uh, Spurs. Spurs 3-2 win. I think there will be goals oh. galore. There tend to be goals in this match. I want to change. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Oh, Nigel. I want to change. If Here Michael's choosing Tottenham, I want to change. I'm going for an Arsenal win. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where I'm going. You'll like this one, Nigel. I'm going for Arsenal statement victory here. It might not be an emphatic game. It might not be a crazy game. I'm hoping for a high-scoring game. I hope both teams score in this matchup, and I hope we get a thrilling encounter. But I think Arsenal just shared this one. I'm going to go for a 2-1 or a 3-2. So I think there's a one-goal little difference in there. Let's get back to our question. Does anybody in our House of Champions group have an answer for the last time that Arsenal did, in fact, beat Tottenham at their stadium? JJ, I'm coming to you first. <sighs> He knows this. I mean, if you're asking, if you're asking me, obviously it didn't happen in the last couple of seasons. So I'm <laughs> going to say it's been at least ten years. Nigel, anything? Michael, anything? seven years. Ooh, close. My, uh, uh, Nigel's definitely licked that off the keystone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't cheat, mate. I'm a man of my word. Oh, All right, man. go ahead, Michael, uh, real quickly. Uh, I'm just going to shoot just from downtown. Uh, I was going to say ten years. Well, BX Gunner 81 was actually correct in the Premier League. It was 2014, the last time that Arsenal did get that victory. Uh, well done to you. But in fact, the last competitive victory was in 2015 in a League Cup affair. It was Arsenal 2, Tottenham 1. Uh, on the score sheet, you'll like this one here, JJ. 
Flamini on the score sheet mm. twice for the Gunners in that game. <laughs> Those were the real poker days. <laughs> they were indeed. I, I I recall seeing Nigel score at White Hart Lane. Hey. I, I mean, I was I was hidden behind like a post uh, <laughs> where where you get stationed in the away end, but he did score. I think it was like third or fourth minute of uh, two one Villa win. But I know uh, Flamini is a, a funny case. Obviously, a very talented player. Someone uh, you know who I saw emerged from the French game but then obviously he's gone on to to have a a phenomenal sort of post-playing career as an entrepreneur as well. BX Gunner 81 saying 2-2 his prediction here Krishna saying that it's going to be 2-0 to the Arsenal we've got a 3-1 Arsenal victory from Rafa keep those comments coming in everybody this is your show let's quickly talk about the Manchester Derby here it's Manchester United against Manchester City third against ninth in the table if I'm not mistaken here it's an early game going ahead on uh, Saturday obviously a cracking game to look forward to City second in the league uh, playing catch up to Arsenal and lost in the EFL Cup during the week they'll look to rebound Michael However, they believe it or not, Manchester United are now only four points behind them and in terrific form. Forget what I said earlier about the ninth place spot there. I forgot to remove that one. They have now won their last six games across all competitions and let in only one game. So it's a huge game for both clubs. I can't believe I'm saying this, Michael. Um, Mm -hmm. But who's your favorite in this game and why? Don't go with your heart here. Go with your head. Ah, man. I'm going to go. She tells you to go with. (laughs) <laughs> can we do the shot clock for nigel can we really do the shot clock for nigel just got interruptions got it I, i'm all right you got me when you said don't go with your your heart go with your head it's so hard to bet against manchester city in this matchup city and i hate to say this as united fan city have owned United in this matchup in the last, what, seven, eight matches in the last, what, five, six years, especially when they come to Old Trafford, they tend to put on a show and tend to save that. The 6-3 win last time at the Etihad, that was disaster. And really, 6-1 was the scoreline. City took off their big guns, and then subs came on. Anthony Martial scored two goals and made it mm, still not respectable. What I'm concerned about for United is the positioning of Christian Eriksen. When they played at the Etihad, Erickson got absolutely exposed. He's not a defensive midfielder. We know that. That's a big gamble that you play and you play, excuse me, when you put him in there. A team like Manchester City, they do this so well. They get the ball to the end line, runners from midfield making those darting runs. And when they get there, they cut the ball back to the PK spot. That is where I'm concerned about Christian Erickson's positioning because I think City will expose them yet again. It's the blueprint for success against United with Pep Guardiola. They've been doing it for seasons, and I, I just I don't like the feeling I have in the pit of my stomach in this game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's one of those weird ones because City were really really unimpressive against Saints, uh, you know. But United, they have that tendency, like they have that tendency to impress you and then do something like you know really stupid and like fall back on bad old habits. So. I mean, for me, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm really trying to work out how I'm feeling about City right now, not just sort of in terms of their form at the moment, but how I see their season panning out in general. Because obviously we know how strong that squad is, but their form has been patchier earlier in the season than it has been in the, in the past. And I don't know. I just, I, I still don't feel entirely convinced they're going to win the Champions League. Fast forward, I know, to, to June, and I'm sure that they've lifted the trophy by then. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, for me, I think that, this is a this is an interesting one because I think that United could actually pull something off here, uh, you know, especially 
given that you know City weren't convincing against Southampton. I mean, okay, I know it's a rotated squad, but for me, I think that you know United have a, a really good opportunity to you know pull off something of an upset here. I, I'm not necessarily sure that they're going to get the win, but uh, I can see City maybe not coming away with the victory. Oof. I'm going to go with JJ. JJ, I agree with you. I, for some reason, see United pulling off the upset here. I think when you look at this United side now um, under Alf, he's done so well with this team. And, um, <laughs> you for that? Under Alf? Who? Oh, who? Sorry. Right, again, Tyler, sorry. <laughs> Alfie who? <laughs> It's going to be a Holland Derby club. Authentic, <laughs> the anyway, authentically ourselves. Um, <laughs> Eric and Tarzan done fantastically well with this United side. I see a focused United side. I see an informed Marcus Rashford. Again, it's the Manchester Derby. Past forms goes out the window. This is not a Manchester United side that we're looking at, that we're trying to find or see an identity or a style of play or a pattern of play. I understand what Michael said about the cutback City's way and style of playing, pulling it back at the edge of the box, but you forgot to mention a world-class Casemiro who's come in that midfield and made a difference. The pairing of Casemiro and Christian Eriksen is the perfect balance of a midfield you could ever want at the top-level team. You have yep. a ball-winning midfielder who's comfortable to get the ball in deep areas, make those forward passes, also has the ability to create goal-scoring chances, and you have Eriksen who can create things and make ha- things happen in the other end. It's the perfect balance you could ever want at that level. I personally see a more determined, organised and focused Manchester United side and I feel with this Man City side, it's still hard to point a finger of what's what with Manchester City at the moment. I see cracks in Manchester City as I do with Liverpool. I see a bit of inconsistency. It wasn't a great performance by top class players that they had in the cup against Southampton, even though I just did say that previous games don't matter. It's the Manchester derby. But I just give the edge to Manchester United in this. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mel. Nigel, it's the first time I'm going to say this. Thank you. <laughs> for saying Alf, that is not for your commentary. For saying Alf, Alfie oh, Ten Hag, brilliant, <laughs> totally. Ah, oh, shout out to our producer Des Norris for the win. Nigel Coker, he is here each week on House of Champions with his guests. So is your dog commentary and insight? No, it's not my. He's, dog he's an he's an Alf. He's an Alf fan. Dog. JJ owns, <laughs> JJ owns a dog. I'm not taking the fall for this one with the pups. But I, I'm so glad you said Cassie. He's, just, he's just had enough of Nigel's chat. <laughs> I've got him on the phone every night asking me what my cognac's tasting like. I'm so glad you brought up Casemiro. The last 6-3 loss against City, Scott McTominay in the midfield with Erickson. That is not a pairing I ever want to see again as a United fan. Burn that, put that in, in, in a burning trash fire and just roll it down the river into the ocean, wherever you live, wherever you can. Uh, who else? Marcus Rashford was playing striker. Anthony Martial comes off the bench. Anthony, yes, scores a goal. Anthony, he is going to be an X factor. There's been such a lot of criticism about his play throughout the season, some of the showboating. But this guy, you give him this, you give him space and time. He's got a left foot cannon on him. Two goals in his last two games. Yes, EFL Cup against it was Charlton, FA Cup against Everton. I expect him to have another decent showing, if not a good performance, if United are to get a result. He and NC Martial, they will have to be effective to take the pressure and the focus that Pep Guardiola and his team will have on Marcus Rashford because he has been red hot, as you said, Nigel. 
Yeah, listen, there's no doubt that the player's getting in form at the right time, but also we must admire the job that Ten Hag has done. And I mean, Alfie Ten Hag, I'm talking about, not <laughs> Eric Ten Hag. What a job he has done at Manchester United. And in my opinion, personally, we're not talking enough about the fact that this guy has gone up against probably one of the greatest players to ever play the game and Cristiano Ronaldo, kicked him out the door and turned Manchester United's fortunes around, dealing with egos, absolutely, getting players back fit and healthy, but getting confidence to the players. And he does it in a unique and in a different way. I mean, he's a Dutch master as far as I'm concerned with the way that he's going about his business right now. Not uh, any time to go through your predictions because Michael and Nigel took far too long. So let's get to the other fixtures. JJ, I'm coming to you first. There's a lot of other games to look forward to. Fulham and Chelsea obviously going on today. Villa Leeds, looking forward to that one on Friday. That should be an absolute banger of a game, by the way. Uh, at the weekend, we do have Brighton and Liverpool to look forward to. Everton against Southampton. We're on Lampard. Watch, everybody. And Newcastle against Fulham. I mentioned that one because Newcastle might be the winners this weekend if everybody else messes up their fixtures. So, JJ, which game are you looking forward to? Oh, obviously, uh, Villa against Leeds. It gives me a bit of a, a rivalry with uh, with Mike as well. Obviously, he's got his Leeds shirt in the background, uh, Leeds scarf in the background. I've got my Villa uh, formations and uh, and posters uh, hanging up behind me. So, no, I'm, I'm really curious to see how Villa digests that really, really poor performance in the Cup. Uh, you know, I, I think many Villa fans had their hopes hung on uh, an FA Cup run and then obviously putting out that sort of disgraceful finish to the game against Stevenage Borough because it really was sort of the final 10 minutes or so that uh, that let the team down. So I think they really need to come up with a, a big reaction now because feels, despite what many people are saying, sort of who follow the club week in, week out, I, I've always felt like Villa's aim for this season was to get back into the reckoning for Europe. I think they've left it too late, both in terms of the managerial change and the uptick in form. But if they're to have any chance, they really need to start putting points on the board now. I thought they would have done so again Wolves at home, difficult game, obviously, with Lopetegui being a new coach, but they know Leeds. I mean, I know that everyone's going to be, you know, optimistic around Leeds at the moment after the signing of Wilbur. They're getting Rutter in as well. But, you know, Villa have just completed the signing of Alex Moreno as well. And, you know, generally speaking, it's been a very positive start to life under Unai Emery. So we need to get a bit more of that back. And I feel this is the perfect kind of game for Villa to turn the corner. So that's definitely the one I'm uh, tuning into. Mm -hmm. Well, I think for me, and I'm going to be keeping an eye on Everton Southampton. I think that's a very interesting fixture. Obviously, you talked about it with Lampard being on manager watch, and it doesn't help when the chairman comes and publicly. When, when's him. Lampard not on Lampard watch, or when are we not on Lampard watch? <laughs> anyway, it feels like we've been there since the beginning. The chairman came and publicly backed Frank Lampard, and we all know when a chairman mm. does that in football, that literally is the kiss of death. Southampton are coming off beating Manchester City in the cup much needed boost of confidence that should give him a tremendous amount of belief in that dressing room because they're playing for Premier League's of survival so that's going to be a real interesting and spicy encounter and obviously Everton being at home as well if they don't start that game well it's not going to take long for the Evertonian fans to turn on the team and it yep. could be a very hostile and difficult atmosphere for the players to play so that's going to be an interesting game to keep an eye on this weekend. Uh, this the, the quickest I'll go, I'll show, because I've said what I need to say, and I'll say enough. Brighton, Liverpool. Liverpool, will they, won't they? The consistency questions are still there. Brighton, last time they played, 3-3 draw at Anfield. The return of Alexis McAllister yielded five goals in cup competition. This is going to be an interesting matchup for Liverpool. I agree with you. Let's get to the comments real quickly before we go to break. Krishna saying, I don't know why, but I'm worried about City's attack here. Uh, Manchester United won Manchester City. No, he predicts here. Rashford is going to score in that game. He also predicts uh, Ram jumping in and saying, will Anthony get sorted in the Premier League soon? Because he's a very one-footed player. There are players who are had great careers, but one-footed like Robin 
uh, but he don't have the Robin pace. I don't know. We haven't necessarily seen the best of Anthony just yet, and he's doing pretty damn well right now. Um, Rafa jumping in and saying he agrees with Krishna. Marsh's emotions as a manager are unsustainable because Krishna says, I don't know, Leeds are disappointing against top six opposition there. So he thinks that they are going to go down. JJ, that one was directed towards you. All right, let's get a quick break. Uh, we will be back with the boys when we return. We're going to take a quick look at the big one in Italy. Plus, we have a dance around the Spanish Supercopa and Portugal. We take a look at the Lisbon Derby. House of Champions will be right back after the short break. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right! Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Well, we don't want you to miss out on any of the Serie A action. Follow some of the biggest stars in the sport, like Olivier Giroud, Rafael Leao, Lautaro Martinez, as they try to lead their teams to Scudetto. How will the table change going forward? Which club has the best chance of winning it all? Which clubs have the most to lose? Find out all the answers and stream every single match from Italy's top soccer league live only on Paramount+. Plus. Try one month free with promo code Serie Ah, welcome back, everyone. You're watching House of Champions. It's Ian Joy alongside Nigel Rio Cooker, Jonathan Johnson, and Michael LaHood. Let's get into some Serie A action. We'll have a quick whip around of all the top games that are going on in the rest of Europe. We begin with Napoli against Juventus, which takes place on Friday. It is a cracking game. It's first against second. Really impressive start. Um, of course, what Juventus have done recently has been really sensational. But this is Napoli in Naples. Napoli, seven points clear of them uh, at the top of the table. Juve have, uh, what, eight games in a row now in the league. They've not even let in a goal in those eight games. Nigel, I'm coming to you first on this one because I know you're looking at your lips at this game. <laughs> Mate, I'm, a, I'm really loving Napoli, what they're doing this season so far, not just in Serie A, but also the Champions League that we cover. Are, are you really, Nigel? Because I don't think we've heard that enough. <laughs> Do you know what? You're lucky. Anyway, I see. I, I think Juventus have done well. Like the run of form that Juventus have shown have surprised all of us on this panel. Like we've been absolutely surprised in how Juventus have put this run together. Because for me, a couple of months ago, they looked like a club that was in complete disarray. And that's the thing I think as well for the fans and people listening. That's the beauty of football. That is how quickly things can turn around with the right atmosphere and environment. And when a manager gets a grip of his players, it's just so beautiful to see because it is possible. It's not all about always spending money. But for me, I just feel that Napoli have too much firepower for this park-the-bus-Juventus side that's got them results. I feel Napoli will get the win. It's going to be a tight game, but I can see Napoli definitely getting the win and continuing the same vein. ML? Yeah, it's so hard to bet against Juventus with the run of form they've been in. The play of Chesney has been impressive, and it started before the World Cup, and he took that into the World Cup and has taken that back into Serie A. But the difference between these two teams is in the final third, the consistency of goal-scoring form. Victor Osimhen, man, this guy, when you need a goal in a big game, this is who you call. He has been the big game player. Yes, he's had injuries or had a big injury throughout the season, but he's back and he's back to being that talismanic difference maker for Napoli. I think Juve not having that, that consistent goal score could cost them in this game. 
You know what? Uh, we were we were talking about Serie A before it came back a, a week or so ago, uh, and I said uh, I was laughed out at the time, but I said Juve cannot afford to not qualify for the Champions League, and now yeah. suddenly they've created like this six point gap for themselves that keeps them in those Champions League spots. I mean, in terms of you know potentially overhauling Napoli at the top of the table. I think, you know, they shouldn't be focused on that at the moment. The gap is too big, still at seven points. But if they get the win this weekend, suddenly it cuts it to four. That sows that seed of doubt in uh, in Napoli minds. Also, look at Juventus's cup fixtures coming up. I think five of their next seven games are at home. You know, that is a, a big bonus for them as well. They've got important players still to come back into the rotation as well. I can see Juve scraping a scraping a win here. Maybe it'll be a one nil. Maybe uh, you know, maybe Napoli will score, but Juve will win it by a goal. But even a even a draw here, I think, would be a positive result for Juve because if they can keep that momentum going, that unbeaten feeling, they're slowly going to be able to move away from some of the negativity, well, the major negativity of the first half of the season. Uh, and like I said, the the end game, the you know, the the main aim now for for Allegri and these players between now and the end of the season is whatever happens make sure you finish in the Champions League spot. I think in this game, and at this point in the season, Napoli, they've been here before last season. I'm wondering, can they learn from what they didn't do last season? They were barn burners. We were thinking, okay, maybe this will be the year that they do it. But then they faded in the second half of the season. This will not be the last say in this matchup between these two teams and in the title race. Remember, at the end of the season, Napoli has to play Juventus again at Juventus. And I think that will be the title decider outright between these two. But this is the uh, a very good first matchup, given the circumstances. Here's a look at the graphic here that shows you the winter champions and who eventually went on to win the championship here. I mean, obviously, Napoli had an amazing start to the season. Um, but some teams will be affected, Nigel, with this long break, especially when it comes to the World Cup. Teams will be affected. Obviously, if you have international players, maybe more so. Um, but maybe, in my opinion, maybe, just maybe... Napoli might have not wanted to have taken that long of a break. You come back and it's very difficult to get going again, to get confidence going, to get into the rhythm. Do you think we'll see that from Napoli? I mean, I know you're a big fan of what Napoli have been doing, but how difficult is it as a player to get back to that type of form where pretty much you were unbeatable? I think that's the best part for me to answer, Ian. It's the fact of getting that rhythm back. That's the most difficult part. And as we watch all these leagues domestically, you always see some of these teams, especially teams that have that winning mentality and that championship mentality, it takes them a while to find their rhythm. They might not be winning consistently at the start, but it takes maybe six or seven games into the season till you can start to clearly see a pattern and a, a stronger team uh, momentum building. I think that break from Napoli probably didn't help them. It was a disservice to them because the rhythm and everything was there. But this second half of the season, again, it's so difficult to really tell because, again, a lot of that comes from management, the messaging that they're getting, how they're getting their players to respond. But it does take time to get that rhythm again. But I just don't see Napoli throwing it away now with how close they are uh, to probably becoming Serie A champions. JJ, uh, let's talk about a little plug here for an interview that's coming up uh, regarding Serie A and one certainly a familiar name. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, lucky enough to chat with Udinese's Gerard Deolofeu. Uh, and it was, a, it was a really interesting chat, actually. I mean, uh, obviously, Udinese themselves were, you know, something of trendsetters a couple of decades ago when they started bringing across lots of those young, uh, you know, talents before anyone, they cropped up on anyone's radar, Alexis Sanchez, guys like that. Uh, you know, but they've sort of started to, to make a bit of a comeback in Serie A at the moment, looking good, certainly trying to get themselves in uh, in contention for Europe. Obviously, De Lefeu himself, uh, a very interesting character, given that he's been linked with a number of clubs, including my beloved Aston Villa. But, uh, you know, it's, I mean, chatting with these guys all the time, uh, you know, sort of trying to get into the nitty gritty behind, you know, what is, you know, creating this good form, especially from a team that had been sort of struggling at the wrong end of the table in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I always find that uh, pretty fascinating. So, yeah, definitely keep an eye out for that early next week. Oh, great stuff, JJ. As always, make sure you keep an eye out as to when that interview will drop. Really look forward to seeing that. I'm a big fan of Dale Lafayette. I always have been. I think he's uh, old school, kind of fashioned winger. Love to watch him go 1v1 with players. And uh, always interesting to see players move around from different country and have success no matter where they go play. Uh, real quickly, before we move on here, I don't want a prediction from you. I just want one word answer as to who will win the Scudetto before we go into Napoli against Juventus. Don't want a score prediction here, Nigel. I Napoli. Want... Napoli, Mike. <laughs> Juventus. JJ. Michael just giving a kiss of death to you. <laughs> <laughs> Napoli, just. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Spanish Supercopa. Uh, we have Real Madrid against either Betis or Barcelona. Um, we're going to just whip through this one very quickly here. Uh, Michael, I'll come to you first on this one. Uh, Real Madrid were, were poor in that game. Yeah. I didn't enjoy watching that game at all. I thought it was very frustrating. Also lost a bit of money on it because I betted them win in 90 minutes. Didn't happen mm -hmm. for me. However, uh, do we see a classical final here? The game is obviously taking place in Saudi Arabia. So let us know what you think will happen as to who we'll see in the final. But also give us your opinion as to what it's like for these players playing in Saudi Arabia in a cup competition that is supposed to be domestic. I think we will see a classical final for Barcelona because Robert Lewandowski gets to play in this game. And when Lewandowski plays, good things happen, wins start coming, and goals galore start happening. So that is something that they will look forward to given that they're coming off a massive win against Atletico Madrid. Des Norris is Atletico Madrid for that. With regard to how the players must be feeling, it's it's so hard. It can be such a distraction for a lot of these players because the the Supercopa when it was based in, you know, Spain, it there was more vibrance about it. There was more of, okay, we play this game, then we can get back to league action. But now the travel factor. These are players who have played in the World Cup. They, they've amassed miles on their legs. They've amassed miles in terms of travel, different time zones. And now they have to do it again in a short amount of time to then come back to Copa del Rey and league play. I, I, I just, I know it's for the TV. I know it's for the money. But you don't like I it. think this is, I don't like it. It's disruptive. But also at the same time, a lot of people don't like stuff like the Community Shield, the Trophée de Champion. People feel like it's a bit of a pointless game, that it doesn't count for anything. Uh, you know, do we not feel that, you know, this kind of format at least makes it a bit more interesting? No. Is that to me or Nigel? Or Ian? Uh, any of you. Any of you guys. Nigel, you go. You look eager. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, just to add to what Michael said, in, well, JJ's question, I think it does a bit, JJ, but the fact is I think you've got to keep it to its spiritual home. It's about the fans. Mm -hmm. These clubs were built on the foundations of the cities where they're from, the people that live in those cities. You can go out there and experience it. Anyone's welcome to. But it's about the city of the foundations of where these clubs started from. So I think that has to be respected. Yeah, Just to add to I, what I agree with said, you. Go ahead. 
I just add to what Michael said there. He's right about Lewandowski playing and obviously domestically he's been fantastic. Not so much in the competition that they used to be in the Champions League. So I'll agree with you on that, Mike. He's got that Bayern virus that Ian keeps talking about. Yeah, I think for me it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just money. It is what it's money. You've got to call it out for what it is, guys. It's money. I think the La Liga looking at the dominance of the Premier League worldwide and how much uh, viewership the Premier League gets and the money the Premier League's generating and La Liga want to is find a way. Is that a bad thing, though, Nigel? Isn't it? It's isn't not it a bad thing. It's, it's, how, how do we get further here? How do we advance soccer worldwide? If you're a fan of these clubs, you would feel a bit offended and upset because these are the clubs that you've grown up supporting, the cities that you've grown up in, and they're putting lane a final not in your domestic country, but in another nation for financial gain, you would feel a type of way. And I think you have a right to feel a type of way to be about that because football clubs without fans and nothing, and they belong to the fans first. But it's okay. doing it to try and generate money and make money. And I'm sure they're getting paid very well for this. Yeah, listen, I, I just want to throw my two cents into this conversation as well. Um, cup competitions are very close to my heart. Had a lot of success playing in Germany in particular in cup competition, made a ton of money as well. But for the fans in particular in my city in Hamburg, it was sensational to play cup competition there. It was a fantastic feeling for the locals to turn up. And in many ways, they would get more excited about cup competition because of the fact that you could get a big team or you could play a minnow team or you could have a local derby. Anything kind of went, it got them excited more so than it would be playing a regular game where you see the same opposition home and away every single season. I, I do see the understanding as to why they would want to play games abroad. I mean, obviously, if you go into Asia or Middle East and then you look into the United States of America, because you better believe it, JJ, right? At some point, you're going to have to see some sort of Champions League or UEFA competition or whatever. It's going to take place in the United States of America. As we've already seen, a World Cup just took place in Qatar. Not one of us thought that that would ever happen in our lifetimes. But money talks, and I also think it's about development. How do we grow as a, as a football uh, world? How do we grow, make more money? That's the question for, obviously, these businessmen. But at, at the end of the day, we must not forget, like Nigel talked about, this is the fans' game here. This is the game that belongs to them. I still see both sides of the story. JJ, just jump in at any time here. I see both sides of the story. I love the, the fairy tale local fan going to watch their team play in a cup competition. But I still want to see this game develop. And I would love nothing more than to see a Champions League fixture take place here in the United States of America. JJ, thoughts? Well, I mean, it's already in the works. It's something that they're discussing. So I, I don't think it'll be too long before we actually start seeing it happen. Whether or not, I guess that we could call, we could consider it a meaningful Champions League game. I guess we'll just have to see when those UEFA Champions League reforms come in, uh, you know, and uh, obviously we'll be able to follow it uh, in its integrality uh, on uh, Paramount+. Plus. But I mean, I think, uh, you know, as well, maybe in terms of making some of these games mean a bit more, certainly in terms of like a Super Cup. I mean, I can see the idea behind the format change uh, and I can, like like you said, you can see both sides of the coin in wanting to one, keep the Super Cup in its country, but also take it abroad to other fans. I mean, the other thing, if you want to actually make this mean something is to actually distribute one of the European places to it. So, you know, it potentially gives one of those teams involved a way to get themselves into continental competition. Oh, wait, JJ and Ian, I'm sorry. Why were we mm -hmm. not talking about FIFA and UEFA for all these people investing more for these nations to invest domestically in their own domestic leagues and be competitive. Like make your league more competitive, 
make your league a lot more inviting to players from around the world to go there, play. And they do that, though. And they do that. You've got Cristiano Ronaldo just moved to Saudi Arabia. You talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. Think about all the other millions of players who are not Cristiano Ronaldo. No, no, no. But if you look at the team that surrounded him, you're seeing some top players who are going there. Of course, there's a lot of money there, Nigel. But you're seeing money being pumped into their domestic leagues. Come on. I don't think so. I think they can do a lot more to make it more... um, I would say more enticing for players around the world because there's a lot of players and people who play football all around the world. The Premier League didn't just happen like that overnight. There was heavy investment in the domestic game of itself. English players were looked weren't looked upon with great shining light or great beauty. We had periods in Europe where it was dominated by the Italian league. We had periods that were dominated by the Dutch league. We had periods that were dominated by the German league. The yep. Premier League for me, which I played in, is probably the most inviting league for players from all over the world, which is one of the reasons why it's so successful. I'm not going to sit here and say it's dominated by English talent because it's not. And that's what's made the English Premier League so successful. All these other leagues have the ability to do that. I hear you. And listen, you are um, obviously very well heard and amongst our group as well. Real quickly, there's an awesome comment coming in here from Ola (laughs) Thomas. She says, you're talking about growing football, but at what cost? What about the identity? What about tradition? I am a man of old tradition. Obviously, I love cup competitions. And, you know, I I find it very frustrating when I go back to my old club, St. Pauli, when now I see suites and uh, lounges and all this type of shit over there. Of course, you need it to develop, to become a bigger club, to be more competitive to entice more fans, to grow the stadium. I want to see that too, but it just hurts my soul just a little bit because when it was, you know, little quaint stadium with the shittiest dressing rooms possible, no hot water, it was beautiful football Ian, back in those days. That God, is what God. built your character. I love it, it's mate. Thing, <laughs> playing at Wimbledon in front of 5,000 fans and we're playing in championship and, and Premier League against clubs, we've got 20, 35,000. We only had little 5,000 fans and a dog. That's what builds character. That's what football is about. I'm for the fans, for the people making comments. I'm about the fans and the people. I think, yes, you can develop your own league and make it good because if it carries on like this, football is going to lose its soul. Well, speaking of fans here, we've got Odds Even saying it's kind of weird that there are, there's an actual former footballer here. We'd we'll love to hear that from Odds Evens. Yes, there are actually three former footballers here. And we've also got one of the top journalists in the world's game as well. So thank you very much for tuning in. I'll have in. you so, know I played at a game. fairly decent Sunday league level. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> We need to see pictures and video yeah, evidence to prove it. Did they have video back in that day, JJ? Anyway, uh, let's I'll, d- I'll, d- I'll dust off the old YouTube <laughs> compilation. All right, I got to hustle through quickly. The Lisbon Derby, Benfica and Sporting come out on Sunday. Mm. Sporting are 12 points behind Benfica. I think we have all become somewhat Benfica admirers of late. After watching them do business off the field, but also on the field in the Champions League in particular, absolutely entertaining us. JJ, coming to you first on this one, Benfica. They have not missed a beat, especially since selling those big names. Darwin Nunes obviously springs to mind. Um, but there, are, if you go through history, they have sold bigger and bigger and bigger names. Yet they don't miss a beat. And even though you've had the rumors about Enzo Fernandez leaving the football club. They don't care. They're focusing on business. They focus about the product. And I love what we were hearing from Rui Costa and all former players talking about, this is our team. This is our club. You've got to show your heart for this club. And we've got a derby at this weekend against Sporting Lisbon to look forward to. Thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always one of the most keenly contested games on the continent. And, uh, you know, I think the thing that I love most about these kind of matchups is when you watch it, when you tune in, 
you're almost watching the next wave of talent. You might be watching the guy who's next about to make a, a big money move. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Enzo, uh, you know, but you've also got the, the likes of Ramos as well in that uh, Benfica side. You know, we had Nuno Mendes making the, the jump to, to join PSG uh, a couple of years ago. It's it's a game that is going to be absolutely brimming with talent uh, and definitely one that the, the casual observer should tune into because there will be so many players who will play in this game who will probably be starring in the Champions League on our screens very soon. Nigel. I just want to say for me, you just said a name that just made me tingle a bit, Ian. Rui Costa. What a bloody player he was. What a player. Legend. Um, for me, I love what he says. And I think for me, that's what you want to hear about football clubs. It's about the football club. I've always been a fan of the football club and the people and the city and what it means. It's not about a player. A player can't ever be bigger than the club or a country. It's about the people. They are what make the football club. And that message there that he put to those players is a statement enough. Benfica have been sensational in the Champions League. And for me, I can't see them missing a beat. I highly favour Benfica to get the win just because of everything that's happening and the great success that some of their players had in the World Cup. Everything's in their path to be successful and win. Yeah. Uh, if you can hear my dog in the background, he's yapping, saying that he agrees with all of you. And one player that I don't think gets enough respect, and I think... He should, because of what he's done in the Champions League, not as much in league form. Rafa Silva, not part of the Portuguese national team at this recent World Cup. Yes, Ramos scores a goal. Enzo dictates the play and breaks up plays. But Rafa Silva is the one who connects both of those players into the final third. I think it's going to be domination from Benfica. Once again, they haven't won the league title since the 2018-2019 season. I think this is their year. Yeah, real quickly, I just want to jump on the fact that Sporting Lisbon are no mugs here, right? We obviously recognize they kind of messed up their Champions League run here, JJ. Um, now they go down to Europa League. Outside of a handful of players that they have in their roster, this is a really young squad of players. Their average, average age, I went to calculate it, was just over 24. So they're a young group of players. They're also dealing with their own transfer rumors. Obviously, Pedro Porro was a recent one. And also Marcus Edwards, who has really caught all of our attention. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as well, there's been lots of speculation about Amorim, uh, whether he'd stay, whether he'd go. Uh, you know, there's lots and lots of talent at Sporting. Yeah, sure, they, you know, they uh, ended up, uh, you know, maybe undercooking their Champions League campaign, especially given the way that they started off. But, uh, you know, still a very, very talented side, plenty of, uh, you know, uh, talent uh, to to watch on, uh, on both sides. Uh, and it does sound like Porro might even be off before the end of the month. NRC? I was going to say something before you close, Ian, so you can carry on. I just wanted to get your comment because you said that you actually really enjoyed Ali A's comment right here, saying Benfica just had a great player. And Schlepp. Oh, why are you putting me on front street for it, Ian, anyway? Put him on just front street. Listen, you know I don't hold back, man. There's, there's no screens here. We are who we are. That's why we're the House of Champions, right? Because there's no, there's no holding no, back here. Listen. All right, before we go, what you got? I just want to say to all the fans and all the people listening, it's fantastic. Again, without you guys, we are nothing. Spread the love. Tell your people. Tell your friends, as Ian says. Tell your, your mom, your dad, your brother. If you want to listen to a real authentic podcast about football with knowledgeable people who are being their authentic selves without having to do anything extra to get clickbaits or anything like that, this is the real podcast. It's about having difference of opinion, keeping football first, but having valid points. This is the podcast. And we're nothing without you guys. Spread the love. And it doesn't get no better than this. And don't forget, we always get Nigel Riococa uh, name dropping all the different locker rooms that he's been in. <laughs> yeah. They have to Can tune in to listen. Hey, I've got some great stories. The more they tune in, the more they have uh, some great stories. They've got to spread the love. 
this golf is the club. Real. <laughs> well done, Nigel Real Coker. Well said as well. Yes, it is a, yeah. a show for you guys. Before we go here, we got to finish with our final thoughts here. Michael, I'm coming to you first because uh, Gerard Piquet has been in the, the news recently. Mm. Shakira has been trending on Twitter, so apparently I see the song is absolutely dreadful, but apparently there's some diswords in there. We want to know first and foremost here, I don't know this story much. JJ, you can maybe yeah. fill us in, but I'll come to you first, Mike. Um, the masked player. Um, can Do you have any idea, uh, the masked player? Uh, I, I, I don't I mean, whoever the mass player is, he's definitely enjoyed his time off. You could see a couple stones in that lean back to his right belly. So I, Wesley, I Wesley Schneider? Him. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Wesley Schneider yeah, and Orange? It's either, it's, it's either him or Raphael van der Vaart. Those are my two because they, they have similar bellies. That That's hey, my guesses. Settle down. Settle down. Rafa was a teammate of mine. All right, Nigel, what are your thoughts on the uh, the mass player? Do you remember Forget there the used to be a book? Forget remember the there used to be a book? Uh-huh. Right, let me let me finish this one. Do you remember there used to be a book in England where someone was like the the mystery soccer player who was talking about all the stories in the in the, I the dressing room? Do you remember book. that? Yeah, I remember yeah. that book, and he said some stories that came out, and then no one yeah. knew who he was. I remember that. <laughs> I'm not interested in who this mass player is, Ian. All I know is uh, Gerard Piquet. All I saw over here in America was uh, they showed a video Zoom call that he had with the girl that apparently he was having an affair with while it was Shakira. She was in the corner slightly. And then she disappeared. That's what I saw. <laughs> JJ, thoughts on the masked player and also thoughts on Shakira's latest lyrics? Uh, you know what? I haven't even listened to the song, so I'm probably not going to be able to give you the best insight into Shakira's song. But in terms of the masked player, it's it's funny because he got absolutely slammed on uh, Twitter. One of the uh, journalists <laughs> from IS came out and said, like, yeah, he was a, a supposed high-level La Liga player that used to play for Cadiz, which was the, the the big giveaway that it was actually a guy called Nuno Mesa, who's a current, current free agent because he has a lot of tattoos. That's why he had to wear the mask and the long sleeves and stuff like that. But no, he got absolutely ruined by the this journalist who said like yeah the best thing that he could do uh was fall over on the pitch three times it's absolutely <laughs> great man i love the stories and jj you haven't missed out on much because the song is absolutely dreadful listen thanks to everybody out there for tuning into the show thank you everybody for your comments and jumping in the conversation it's been great it's been really great being back breaking in the new year it's great to see the premier league coming back this weekend as well but also the top action across all of europe we will be back again on sunday with a, a little uh review of the weekend the boys will be back we're excited to obviously break it down um a, a quick bit of love for uh, james bench he's enjoying himself on his vacation never seen him as active as he has been over the last few days on his social media platform by the way he's enjoying it so love to, to james bench out there as well uh everybody out there uh thank you so much for tuning in we appreciate you thank you to everybody for listening to house of champions also please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform we're available on apple podcast spotify stitcher and anywhere else you listen to your podcast we're also available as video so subscribe to us on youtube thanks everybody for watching house of champions we'll see you again on sunday cbs sunday after the equalizer you collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. And you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.